Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So we have to start out with a new name, Katara Ravache. For those of you who don't know who Katara Ravache is, or Ravache, I think it's Ravache, I'm sorry, Katara Ravache. That is another name for George Santos, the freshman Republican from Long Island who is creating a lot of havoc. And um, it's, it's an interesting thing to start with. But before I go further, what are your thoughts on this week in Katara Ravache slash George Santos? Oh, man. just Is it possibly the worst two weeks of a freshman opening congressman's political career? Probably. I also want to say that we, we are not shaming anybody who dresses in drag or partakes in that whole world. Obviously, we criticize the hypocrisy of the Republican Party who choose to partake in it, but then go ahead and try to uh, pass legislation to um, ban it and stuff like that. So that's what we're really arguing about. Also, the other thing is we don't actually know who this person is. And I don't mean like I brought this up last week, John, but I don't want to come across like any sort of birther or anything like that or any sort of racial element here. But we actually don't know this. This person has provided us with enough benefit of the doubt or or lack of benefit of the doubt, I should say, to really question who he is as a human being, his name, his alias, where he's from, is he American? Is is what if John, we, we saw with former Trump officials that some of these people were registered assets of other countries. Like what if this person is truly a, a asset from another country that's here and he's infiltrated our government? Um it's fascinating to see he is not going to last. I, I don't. I don't imagine him lasting uh, the two years. We'll see. But McCarthy needs the seat. So I'll. I'll, I'll you can. You can go over things, but I'll ask you this question. You could uh, reel in. If if this was a safe red seat, would McCarthy ask him to resign and then hold the election only because it was a safe red seat? It's pretty clear he's not doing it because, at minimum, it's not a safe seat and it might flip to to them. So is that the only reason here? It ha- to me, it has less to do with it being a safe seat. As well, although we do feel that if it goes to special election, uh, the Dems would probably pick it up. But the bigger issue here is he has no margins. So if it was a deep, say it was, it was, say the seat was the same, but he had a 10, 15 vote margin, he probably would go ahead and bite the walk the plank on it. Um, let me give you a perfect example. And um, there was a near tragedy this week, and I shared it with you was Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe was working in his yard. I think he was working on either a, a tree or a house. Nonetheless, he fell and he was he was in ICU. He was hurt. And um, so he's going to be, on the, for lack of a better metaphor, he's going to be on injured reserve, the Congressional Injured Reserve, for a while. He won't be able to go to D.C. And one of the things that um, came about during COVID which me knowing a member of Congress, uh, I think it's very practical, especially if it's not abused, is that uh, during COVID, the Democrats introduced and they plan on continuing with proxy voting. Proxy voting allows, you know, you still want, you. there's still an upside. And if you're a member of Congress, if you can physically be there, you should be there. But what you have is a situation where Kevin McCarthy has a slim uh, majority anyways, uh, and before we get to George Santos, but because it's so thin, he needs every vote. Well, 
if you don't have proxy voting, Greg Stubbe can be voting from his hospital bed. Greg Stubbe could do everything he needs to do to recover, to rehabilitate, and be 100% by the time he gets, you know, the D.C. But because they don't have proxy voting, they're probably going to have to pack him up in an ambulance and ship him up from Florida to, to D.C. And to show you perfect examples was during the speaker vote, uh, you had the new freshman, uh, uh, one of the few Republic, African-American uh, Republicans from Texas who had to uh, go home because his wife had a premature baby. You had Ken Buck, who had a, 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 a um, Republican congressman from Colorado. And then you actually had a Democratic congressman from um, Jersey. And all three had mis- were missed votes. Now, it was interesting is a Democrat from New Jersey, he was actually able to go to his morning appointment and be back (laughs) for the afternoon votes later that day. And he got a round of applause for doing it. But that being said, um, going back to... So you have a thin margin, and it's, it's complicated by the fact that you don't have proxy voting. And I think it's very cruel because I think we need a day and age where a member of Congress, if they are sick, injured, or they need to be there for a family member... Um, if, if that were the case, um, you know, you, you have that ability, right? So now back to Santos. I, so that's one of the reasons why he can't get rid of Santos, but you know what? That's bad because I do think to one of the points you were making, Santos is a security risk. Santos is a risk to this, to, to our national security. And, you know, he got committee assignments and everything else, even though they're not, you know, it's still small business. I think there's one other one, science. Um, and it's just ridiculous. So, but that just goes to show you how morally corrupt the Republicans are. I think even with a slim margin, even with a slim margin and a seat that could go the other way, I think Pelosi, now Hakeem Jeffries, I think either one of them would have still made, made that person walk the plank. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic. It's not a situation we're in, so we don't really have to test it. But I think Pelosi or Hakeem would have made that person walk the plank. I have no doubt in my mind that they would have made a Democrat resign immediately um, if a Democrat even made it that far, right? This is a Republican. This, this, this guy flew under the radar, John. There were so many, obviously, big races in 2022 in the midterms that I don't think anybody really paid attention to this. It, it wasn't really on anybody's radar until things had settled and it was it was pretty clear that he was problematic. So I, I do agree with you on that. Um, also, John, you, you mentioned a security risk. You, you said something that was interesting. You said how, how morally corrupt the Republicans are. I think you could take out the word morally there. I just think they're they're pretty corrupt just generally by the by the pure definition of the word, right? Most of the people on committees, GOSAR, MTG, et cetera, are all election deniers. These are the people that are leading the, the Republican Party don't believe that our, our elections are fair and they're rigged because the Republicans are losing. So, um, yeah, I also think this, John, this is Republicans. And I get McCarthy's play here. He needs the margin. I totally get it. But he's not going to under he's he's underestimating the political cost this is going to have in 2024. I don't mean to keep pivoting to 2024, but the more and more absurd the Republican Party appears publicly, the less and less likely that people are going to vote for them. And this just adds to that. And he might lose his seat. Santos might lose his seat in 24 if he makes it that long. 
and it'll be over. But will it cost them votes across the ballot? Like, will people show up to vote against Santos and then then vote Biden and then vote whoever the Democrat is? So um, I'm liking this. I think he's a security risk. And if he if I would like him to resign, obviously, and us to steal the seat. But at the end of the day, the more absurd they seem is perfectly fine with me. Right now, here's one thing, though, and um, I want I want your thoughts on this. And you and I, you know, I think one of the things we try to do that a lot of our friends on social media and the Internet don't is we you and I have will we'll have opinions about stuff going on in other backyards. But I think a lot of times, you know, I think you and I do a good job of saying we know how we feel about this stuff happening in anywhere. And we know how we feel about the stuff happening in our own backyard. But when it comes to something happening in New York, we have opinions, but we don't know what's what's really going on on the ground, right? And I would love to know from someone in the like Long Island area, is this was a purple seat, or it was you know it was supposed to be a Democratic hold, and it became Republican, and Republicans flipped it. Now I want you to I want you to have a little bit of imagination here. Maybe there might be some data that can tell us yay or nay. Since the seat flipped. If the Republicans acted swiftly and had a no tolerance, and think about it, the local Republicans in Long Island are acting swiftly. But do you think that this being prolonged really helps the Democrats in that seat? Meaning the Republicans won it once, what's to keep them from winning it again, especially if they act swiftly? But if they're taking it, if, if Kevin McCarthy is taking his time and this goes on for too long, might it turn the people on the ground in Santos district against Santos? Um, has anyone posed that question? Have you seen any data? What, what, what is, or just are, do you just want to give an adidonal response based upon what we're, you know, what we would get, kind of gut our gut feelings? Yeah, I think I just kind of talked about it a little, little bit. I, not only does it help the groundswell for that seat, I think it helps generally across the board. I think New York Democrats uh, want to get it right in 2024. And they they feel responsible. I think maybe justifiably so. I don't know the exact numbers, but they feel they feel responsible. The fact that we don't have the house right now because New York flipped so much that it did not reflect the rest of the country. And so maybe New York Democrats are plotting and scheming right now to get that right in twenty twenty four. And they might use Santos as a catalyst to say let's get out and let's get out and vote. Um, so I do agree. I, I agree with your idea. I, and and I, I probably assume that that's how it's going to work right now. There's people in that district who probably feel embarrassed. There's people in that district that probably feel like they should have showed up when they did not And here's an opportunity for them to show up in a special election or the 2024 election. Um, so I agree. I, I not only, but, but John, I'll take it a step further. Not only is it better for the seat, I think it's better across the board locally. Right. Well, it, it, like I say, one of the things that it just, it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, it really does, you know, it re- it really does make um, Republicans look worse. One of the things I've said, and I'm going to say it again, I was thinking about it, you know, and I think about it between pods is, you know, as partisan as I am, as I like to, you know, from the football player in me, love to exploit the other side's mistakes. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, the partisan in me is enjoying this. The, what, because the partisan advantage that it gives the Democrats is something I relish and something I look forward to. 
But the um, American in me is not happy with it because, as I've told you, and it's why I don't want Trump to be the nominee of the other party. Anytime there's an election, there's always a chance that the other people on the ballot can win. And while I don't want them to win, and while I want to do everything I can do to keep them from winning, I do want them to put up their best. Because at the end of the day, they have the majority in Congress. They have chairmanships. And the damage that can be done by the wrong people being in those positions, yeah, it might give us as Democrats some political advantage. But at what cost to the country? Now, we're not the ones who are damaging the country. It would be the Republicans. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm transitioning now to the, some of the committee assignments. The fact that Green's got her committee assignments back. Gosar's got his committee assignments back. Um, you know, think about the number of people who were election deniers who are potentially uh, in cahoots with the January 6th people and also, you know, election deniers who are now on the Homeland Security Committee, right? So, yeah, it gives us great, as Democrats, it gives us great uh talking points and a great platform and a great thing to point out, but it's also putting the country at risk. Do you really want Marjorie Taylor Greene having access to classified information? Do you really want Paul Gosar having access to information? Do you really want Jim Jordan running the judiciary? So, look, there's political upside to it. But I'm really concerned about the potential damage to the country that uh, these political opportunities that I think we as Democrats have. But what the but I really am concerned about the damage to the country, potential damage to the country. Yeah, um, I would answer. I would answer that with a question, and I would say, how? how you said they should put up their best. I, I just think this is their best, John. They can you look to the Republican Party and name a single serious quote unquote I'll use the word quote unquote good Republican. Uh Kinziger's out there. Right now Cheney's right now there. there's right now there's none. Um and again I I'm not trying to help them win their primaries, but look, we are very happy with what Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney uh did as part of the January sixth committee. Uh, as they showed us with votes that didn't have anything to do with January 6th, they are dyed-in-the-wool Republicans, but they also showed us with their work on January 6th that they do take the job seriously. And even though I don't think Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger would be favorable to our agenda if they were committee chairs, I would feel a lot better with them as committee chairs, if that makes any kind of sense. Fred Upton the the uh, congressman from Michigan who didn't run, who many people thought should come back and potentially be um, the uh, Speaker of the House, because remember, you don't have to be a member. Uh, look, I'm glad that we were able to pull and take Peter Meyer's seat, but I'd almost wish that he was still there. Peter Meyer's out of Michigan, who got beat in this primary by a whack job that, that the Democrats kind of boosted up, and now we've had a, a Democratic pickup. But Pete Myers, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's not our responsibility to elect good Republicans. But when bad Republicans end up as a nominee and eventually win, 
that's bad for the country. And so it's it's a weird thing because I do want I do not want Democrats to say, oh, we're obligated to elect good Republicans. So that's on the Republican Party to do. But I just can't get excited about the political upside of having these dipshits because of the danger that 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 their presence in Congress does to the country. No, I totally see your point. I think my my point is the the first thing is that I just think that they don't have anything left to offer. The people you're naming, they the Republican Party purposely got rid of for that very reason, right? They want extremism. Look at the two front runners for the 2024 presidency are, are two right wing extreme and, and Trump and DeSantis, right? Um, even people like um, McConnell and Graham have gone super far right now at this point. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is I don't, I see your point and, and we brought it up before the 2022 midterms. And I said, I was in favor of propping up guys like Dr. Oz. Cause I felt like they were easier to be in the general. But the reason I think that is because we're at a point in this country that we have to rip the bandaid off. The, this is the Republican Party. This is 35% of the country, 50% of the electorate is these right-wing extremism who want um, the country to fail and they they want to be in power. And so i much rather deal with that now than in secret. I guess, I guess my point is if Marjorie, if we have to deal with, with MTG now and we have to deal with Gosar now, then let's do that as a country. Let's have our reckoning. Let's get it over with. Let's hopefully defeat it and then come back on top uh, at the end of it. I just, you know what I mean? Like I, I, for years and years, this was part of the Republican Party. And you know more than I do. This was underlying, right? They put up their best behavior, but Trump really just made everybody be as public as possible. And I just think we, this is it. This is our chance. We have to continue to show up and win elections, continue to root out this extremism and continue to fight back on it. So I, I guess... I don't know how to describe that, but I'd just much rather know the enemy I'm facing, quote unquote, and then tackle that as opposed to them try to put up uh, a fake good Republican for the sake of it. Yeah, but here's the thing, and this is where I'm trying to drive home. Do you think Marjorie Taylor Greene, especially considering some of the things that we suspect about her involvement with January 6th, do you think that Marjorie Taylor Greene is a threat to our country's national security? Yes. She's on the Homeland Security Committee. That means that she's going to be able to, if she is truly the threat that we believe she is, she's going to be able to access confidential, top secret information. And she could, and if she is the threat that we believe she is, she'll be able to go ahead and share it with whomever she wants. Share it with the Proud Boys, share it with the Oath Keepers, whether it's something that will allow them to go ahead and uh, stage another coup or attempt to, attempt to stage a coup again or it's something that they may just be able to use and, and leverage for their own defenses in their in their trials. So that's what I'm trying to say is, yeah, at what cost? And it's serious. I mean, you literally, what people don't understand is that when a person's a member of a committee, they have oversight over that portfolio. And she is now entitled as a member of the Homeland Security Committee to access stuff that we are in danger of her accessing. And that's that's the thing that, while her serving is going to be great for us when it comes to fundraising emails and an easy target, she can do a lot of damage in two years. And she most likely will. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not denying that for sure. I'm, I'm not saying I'd rather take that. 
I guess what I'm saying is that's that's the problem we face as a country, though, that 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 we have to root that out. And so it's not that I want political points. I want the opportunity to give the country to show, hey, we have to continue to vote these people out because they're going to continue to bring up people like MTG consistently. So I guess her damaging the country isn't what I want, but it gives us the opportunity to get stronger and better and defeat people like MTG. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. I totally see your point. I, I just think my point is that's the battle we face, whether we like it or not. And, and, and I'd, re- I'd just much rather have it now than later. Right. Now, speaking of MTG, she and her girl, Lauren Boebert, uh, they have words, uh, you know, as, as, as we say in the streets, they beefing. Uh, a report came out uh, in the Daily Beast this week that uh on day one on, on january 3rd uh they they actually confronted one another uh in 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 the bathroom and i think another thing that is very of, of a lot of relevance to many of us is the fact that um at one point Bobert <laughs> had tweeted out and we didn't we thought she was maybe talking about democrats or whatever she tweeted out don't be ugly and it turns out that don't be ugly was actually targeted at Marjorie Taylor Greene. So, what what are your thoughts on the MG in the MGT Lauren Boebert uh, thrill in Manila? If you know to, to borrow a Don King phrase, uh, you know what's funny is because she bears resemblance. I just kind of pictured MTG as as the modern day Tanya Harding and just went in the bathroom and just started going at Boebert as needed. Um, this was, I think inevitable i think they were buddy buddy beginning because again it's easier it's much easier to be in the minority than it is in the majority and now here they have um they disagreed on how to get to mccarthy or who the speaker was supposed to be bober was instrumental in making that process a lot more stressful than they would have liked uh this was inevitable john people like this don't uh stay buddy buddy their their hatred and their um lack of respect to the institution is always going to turn on each other. Uh, this is just the beginning, by the way. Like They're, they're going to go at each other until one of them's not there. Uh, uh, like I don't mean physically. I just mean someone's going to get voted out, and, and Bober might not make it in 2024. So um, MTG is stronger, I think, politically. And since we're having fun and we're making fun of them, I would definitely take MTG in a fight over Bobert any day. So I don't know where your money lies on that. Uh, I don't know if we can make bets on DraftKings or not, but um, I like it. The, again, I, I just said this earlier, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but the more and more crazy they seem, or, or as accurate as it is in real life, uh, the better it is. And so I, I'd much rather enjoy these next two years uh, rooting this on as opposed to... Uh, uh, also, I, I like to... I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a Democratic person in the bathroom and then this is how classy it might have been Democrat, it might have been Republican. But I think it was a Democrat. How classy Democrats are, and they came out and they wanted to know. And here's our opportunity to spill the beans. And this person was like, "Hey, whatever happens in the women's bathroom stays in the women's bathroom." And I completely respected it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was actually um, it was actually uh, Congresswoman Dingle from Michigan, um, uh, Debbie Dingle. It is, and. Um, yeah, that, but see, that's what I want to see. And I think one of the things you and I've talked about, and we, we go on and on, is that we are in an environment 
where we have an opposition party and they move in a certain way. And I think human, uh, human nature instincts tell you, well, if they're doing that, we should fight fire with fire, what have you. But I think I like the way the Democrats are moving. I like the way Democrats move. I like the fact that Debbie Dingell uh, witnessed or was a potential witness. And under now, I will say on the record, she didn't she didn't associate herself. Now, granted, she also just so you know, I'm going to give you a little secret about the way that things work. Sometimes people will say things on the record and then they'll say things off the record. And as long as they don't get credit for the things off the record, they feel like they're good. So I don't know who actually, you know, saying to the Daily Beast or what have you. But that being said, um, Democrats move, at least publicly, in a different manner than Republicans do. And I kind of respect her for, for, for uh, at least associate, making sure her name's not associated with uh, spreading any of the, the gossip stuff about what went down in the bathroom. So I, think, I think we do need to move differently. One hundred percent. That we're classy, and and as they as they go low, we go high, as Michelle said. Uh, but I, you never told me who do you take if DraftKings put up a bet right now. Who are you taking in, in a fisticuffs between MTG and Bobert? MT, uh, MTG, uh, unless guns are involved, Bobert's Bobert's a small woman. Uh, MTG is a CrossFit. Um, I would assume if hands were thrown. That I'd have, and I and I would, I would assume MTG's also got a weight advantage. So, I think strength and size, uh, I'd have to go with MTG. Bobert now, if it, if it's if 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 they're allowed to draw, and don't forget in Kevin McCarthy's house, who knows? They might be able to they might be able to carry onto the floor. But um, as long as guns are not involved, my money's on MTG. And I actually think too, I don't you know we don't do dyna- no dynamics. But I bet you, while they both are mad at each other, I get the feeling that MTG probably has a is definitely beefing with um, Bobert more so. You, you know what I'm saying? Is um, Gates and 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 Bobert they were just chaos agents? MTG was trying to get something accomplished, and I think if anything. MTG also has a greater motivation uh, than Bobert. So does my handicapping of what what a throwdown would actually be like, you agree, disagree, what did I get right, what did I get wrong in, 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 my, uh, in my assessment of, 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 of handicapping a potential fight between the two? No, I think you're on the money. I think MCG is a much more of a scrapper than than Bobert, and Bobert doesn't want to get her hands dirty. But I think you're underestimating MCG has a history of the guns too, right? So if if we go old school Hamilton and there's a duel here, I think both of them handle uh, their firearms pretty well. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is not the last incident between those two specifically or, or MTG with anybody really. She's had her history of run-ins with people, but now it's a little bit different because uh, they're on the offensive as, as opposed to defensive. So I agree. I think MTG has a down pet. Yeah. And now one of the things that's happening, I'm not sure if it's 
I know there's been a lot of talk about it. I don't know if anything's official to their back in Congress next week uh, or this week, actually. Um, but it does look like um, Ilhan, Swalwell, and Schiff will all lose their committee assignments. Um, what's funny is I think they're going to, uh, you know, talk about um, making the accusation that Ilhan was, you know, anti-Semitic as justification for her losing her committee assignment. But she never, she's not the one that bought up Jewish space lasers. I think what I say is, I think that McCarthy's problem in getting rid of them is all three of the people they would be getting rid of, there are Republican counterparts who are not being getting, gotten rid of. And I think uh, if his move, and we don't expect him to have integrity, he's a Republican for God's sake, but if his moves would have any integrity, um, he wouldn't be restoring Gosar. He wouldn't be restoring uh, MTG. And I think uh, the fact that he's restoring both the committees truly, truly, truly should be called out and people should definitely um, make a big deal of that. Yeah, I mean, you said it on the money the first time. These guys have no dignity or, or integrity or any sort of moral compass. Um, he wants to talk about Swalwell having an FBI file, which later was debunked. Uh, but Gates has the FBI file, and I'm sure Santos has the FBI file, and I'm sure all these a lot of Republicans have FBI files, right? So that that debunks that, and then he talks about Omar and, and anti-Semitic. But you brought up MTG, obviously. The, the front runner for the for the Republican Party is the anti-Semite. That's Trump, right? So um, these guys, all they know is hypocrisy. They want to talk about the debt ceiling. I don't think we'll talk about it much today. I assume we'll talk about it much more next week. But they want to talk about the debt ceiling and how Democrats spend bill, but we know the numbers there, and they raised it three times under Trump, right? So all they know is hypocrisy. That Republicans are not known for anything else. I continue to pose this question to people and nobody can answer it. Can you name from Reagan to Trump to Bush a single piece of legislation that has helped America? They ha they are not known for passing. They're not known for governing. All they know is restriction and taking away people's rights and opposition. And that's what I expect the next two years is that they are not going to be effective in any way. And um, yeah, there's nothing, there's really not, not much to say after that. Well, I will say one thing about the debt ceiling, and we'll dive into it later. I'm, and it's a quick thing; it's a messaging point. And I want you to think about Republicans in the way that they move, in a way if the if this was a Pelosi or a Kim Jeffries led uh, potential default, even if even before we got the default stage, they'd be calling it the Pelosi default. And I really think that um, we need to start Democrats, whether in the House or just on social media need to start calling it the McCarthy default, McCarthy default, McCarthy default. You know, they do a very good job of branding and that's such an easy thing, you know, and if, and, you know, knowing what Democrats would like to be literal and we don't like to make stuff up, we could say potential McCarthy default. We could, we could go that as long as we keep saying McCarthy default. So yeah, I would encourage, I mean, thoughts on that. And again, we won't get into the details yet on the debt ceiling and the default, but just from a messaging standpoint, do you have any thoughts on how we would move in that regard? I like your idea. I've, I've seen a lot of that this week on, on um, 
Twitter, I saw Biden um, push back and say Republicans are going to crash the economy, and that's all Republicans are known for and has nothing to do with us. I think that's great messaging. Ronald Klain was on Twitter popping off shots saying 25% of our, our debt, our, in our entire country's history, 25% of the debt of the debt limit was was pushed by Donald Trump just under his three three and a half years, so I like the messaging so far. I agree. Let's brand it the McCarthy default. I just I just think we're going to push it. I think Democrats are, are done. We're not soft, and and I just think we, we know how to fight against this now. And, and so I agree. I think the McCarthy default's a, a good way to go. Now, one of the things that you didn't put in prep, and I'm surprised because it was a it was a big story. And I want to spend a little bit of time on it. You know, even though it's not on prep, once I throw it out there, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say. It was the arrest this week in New Mexico of the failed Republican House candidate who was actually, remember, I'm not sure people know this, but since the election, since November, a number of Democrats at, at the state level in New Mexico had, had their houses shot at. And, uh, and this was concerning. And there would be another report, this house was shot at, this house was shot at. And it turned out this week that um, the FBI or, or the Mexico authority, New Mexico authorities have to take a look. Um, but basically a failed candidate was targeting his Democratic opponents or, Demo- or high-profile Democrats in New Mexico and, um, and shooting at their houses, shooting at their homes. One, one of the homes shot at was, you know, there was a 10-year-old girl. Nobody got hit, fortunately. And um, essentially, it was the guy's name was Solomon Perez or Solomon Pena. I'm sorry. And Solomon Pena actually, uh, he, when he ran for office as a Republican, he already had 19 felonies. Um, and he had hired people or got people to go ahead and carry out the shootings. And he was upset because they're happening at night and at times when people were less likely to get hit. So I guess in the final shooting, he actually went ahead and. Um, he actually went ahead and he did it himself. The other, two other elements I want to talk about, and this is important. So again, if you've not read in on it, you know, I'm giving you a lot to go up, but there's two other elements I want to talk about. And we talk so much about, or the right talks so much about Antifa and Black Lives Matter and violence. There were two other really disturbing events this week that are both tied to um, right-wing rhetoric. First, Pina guy down in New Mexico who was an election denier and he actually posted a video saying that he supports Trump and and he's, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do about his lost election. He's got to figure something out. And so one, that could be laid strictly as Trump's lap. But then two, in Indiana, at Indiana University, some white lady went ahead and stabbed, uh, stabbed an Asian American woman and and it was it dies in with a lot of the anti-Asian hate and rhetoric that again came from the Trump White House. And then close to home in Peoria, Illinois, a Planned Parenthood location was torched and it was arson. These all happened within 36 to 48 hours of one another. And I think that that is a story that talks about the trends of right-wing violence and how much, I mean, this is, Again, um, we probably need to do a better job of messaging because if the shoe were on the other foot and there were three things closely associated to something that came out of Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton's mouth, they would think about it. Think about how buttered, and we'll get to the Supreme Court thing a little bit later, but think about how they still are upset because a guy that went to Kavanaugh's house who turned himself in, you know, 
he turned himself in, that's getting bigger play than Paul Pelosi. That's getting bigger play than when someone was caught outside of Pramila Jayapal's house with a gun. So what are your thoughts on this week in right-wing violence? That's an appropriate title for it because it's it's really uh, this week, but it's really been the last five years, right? This is the same thing, John. Uh, the Arizona story, the Planned Parenthood, all that stuff loops into me with Paul Pelosi, with uh, the, the plots to kidnap the, the governor of Michigan, um, all this stuff, the, the kill Fauci stuff, all that stuff is, is linked to elected officials and the words that they say. And so I don't know if I have much to say about it other than obviously, obviously they're responsible for it. So that's my question to you is, I saw Tucker Carlson this week spread a bunch of misinformation about different things, which he does, I guess, every day. So I guess nothing new. But um, at what point can we hold these people liable? There's January 6th rioters who are saying, I came because Trump sent me. Like, we're not making them say this stuff. That's what they believe, and they're coming down here. And I know some people are suing Donald Trump for certain things civilly um, re- related to that, also related to um, different different kind of uh, events that happen across the country. So what Carrie Lake's doing in Arizona and what the Republicans are doing across the country – how can we not hold these people liable in in a courtroom for for financially? I don't I don't think it would get legally, but financially, like, am I missing something here? No, you're not. And it's and this goes back to Santos, and I'm going to go back to Pena in a minute. But you know, I've got the TV on right now, and they're talking about how uh, some of Santos' money came from the cousin of a Russian oligarch, right? And we already know that some of Santos... So it's not just the violence, it's the criminal enterprise. Now, one thing I want to tell you about Pena that you may you may have not heard. Um, one of the people who was involved in um, in Pena's little scheme is a guy by the name of Jose Trujillo. He donated more than $5,000 to Pena's campaign, and that man's mother also donated 4000 to the campaign. Their donations make up about 40% of the money that Pena raised, and it looks like it was financed through sales of narcotics. Um, so, so in addition to the violence that we, that we just talked about in New Mexico and in Indiana and Illinois that just happened this week, the uh, candidate in New Mexico was financed by some completely shady sources and so was Santos. So, you know, I said this week in right-wing violence, but realistically, it's this week in, this week in right-wing crime because it's just not the violence. I mean, the violence is, is what is a scary and it's what's a threat. But, I mean, these are just some criminal people out there right now. Yeah, clearly. So much so that, that they were lining up to Trump to ask for pardons and everything like that. And Trump was going to hand them out. And Trump's going to hand out some January 6th pardons if he becomes president in 2024. Um, I said this a bunch of times. I said it after January 6th. I said it after a year after January 6th. Republicans are the party of violence. That's all they know is they fix school shootings with more guns. Um, they want to fix um, the what they believe to be a problem with the trans community in this country by 
going in the bathroom and, and ripping down people's pants and looking at their genitals. They want to, uh, if you're caught in the in the park bird watching, they want you to call the police on them. Tucker Carlson wants to run up to people and rip their mask off their face. They want to kill Fauci. They want to kill the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Um, these are people that all they know is violence. They can't get things done with their words. They can't get things done in legislation. They can't um, out-organize us, out-spend us, out-raise us. So all they know is violence. And and this is what you're seeing. This is the result of that. Right. Now, one of the things that um, also happened, and this, this this last week was had a lot of news, had a lot of news. And Congress wasn't even in session. But the other thing that came out late in the week, it was on Thursday, was the initial um, reaction with them finding nothing is, I'm of the impression that they didn't want to find anything. Uh, what was your reaction to the findings of the Supreme Court uh, leak report? Uh, I don't. Uh, you said they didn't want to find anything. I don't know if they didn't want to find anything. or My hunch is they kind of know, and then they just kind of stop looking, which is, I guess, the same thing as you're saying. They know where it's coming from, and we, we're pretty clear now that, from what I understand, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong when, when you're, it's your turn, but everyone pretty – it was – pretty well reported that it came out of Alito's camp, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, or, or Jeannie Thomas. Right. And so we're pretty confident that it came from one of those two people, but I want to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about the Supreme court in general. I read a tweet off that I'm just going to go with. There is no more legitimacy in the Supreme court. They're clearly biased. They're completely not objective. They're completely political. Um, they stole two seats. And I don't mean that in a hater way, I mean that in a literal, that Garland should be on that chair. And then whoever, uh, Biden should have got the opportunity to replace RBG, right? So there is no more legitimacy in that court. The fact that Clarence Thomas won't recuse himself from any cases involving his wife is ridiculous. The fact that uh, Kavanaugh's partying with George Santos from Republicans in Florida is completely ridiculous. The fact that Amy Coleman Barrett is doing speeches to the Federalists and all these right-wing kind of groups is completely ridiculous. The fact that Alito and um, I forgot the I forgot the other guy's name, but the fact that Alito is complaining that people are complaining about the court's legitimacy is completely ridiculous. I don't know what's going to happen here, but my whole thing is it's pretty clear to me that nobody's going to respect this institution in, in due time. And I don't know how to fix that. I don't think it's Biden's responsibility. I don't think it's Democrats responsibility, but at what point, if you're Biden, do you say, well, let's just, let's just go to 14, 15, 16, 17 judges. Like who cares at this point? Right. I know Biden will never do it. And I know the Democrats will probably never do it, but um, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of distraught against the Supreme court only because of everything that's been going on. As far as the leak, it's pretty clear where it came from. I think it backfired on Republicans because a lot of people voted against them for that very reason. So I don't know exactly why the leak came when it did. Granted, the, the decision was going to come before the the, the, um, the election anyway. So I guess it was a new point in that in, in that sense. Yeah, well, I'll say one thing. Um, I will tell you that there, I I'm, I feel confident or, or I am... I, if I were a betting person, I would bet that someone on the right had something to do with the leak. But I think people uh, who are new to this may want to know a little bit more about the um, reason why we say that. And what it comes to is a couple of months ago, uh, 
one of the new, one of the newspapers, I want to say the New York Times, broke the story from a conservative uh, activist who said that in when the Hobby Lobby decision came down, and just you know, the Hobby Lobby decision uh, was a, a decision in which Hobby Lobby did not want to have to pay for, I believe, uh, women's reproductive health, primarily birth control, out of uh, during the Affordable Care Act. It, it still was tied to Affordable Care Act, and of course. Um, Hobby Lobby, just like Chick-fil-A, is a very conservative organization, and it was a case that was really important to the far right, and long story short, um, it was leaked a couple of months before the decision that the court was going to rule in Hobby Lobby's favor, and the activist uh, who came out and, you know, told his story said it was Alito who leaked it, right? So that is where a lot of people believe that Alito and or Ginny Thomas had something to do with it. It's speculative, of course, because we don't have a report that points the fingers in any direction. It is all speculative. I think that is probably informed speculation. But the you know the most important thing to, to mention that it is speculative. But to your point about the legitimacy of the court, that's why I think John Roberts should have gone ahead and really told the investigators, don't give me a half-assed report. Because it's kind of like, it's weird, because um, it's almost like, in, in a really weird way, it's like the Biden document case, where Merrick Garland, as much as many people in the Biden administration might be pissed off that Merrick Garland went ahead and got a special prosecutor, since most of us believe that Biden is going to uh, be exonerated of any wrongdoing, uh, it's much better for that exoneration to come from a special prosecutor, right? It's going to have, and I think that when you look at the Supreme Court, I do think that John Roberts owed it to not the American people, but to the reputation of the Supreme Court saying, uh, we need to have a little bit more thorough investigation and we don't stop until we get to the bottom of what happened. Yeah, but I, I think John Roberts is also one of those people. That's the guy who I forgot his name earlier, but that's the guy who he was the one walking around complaining, hey, everybody needs to chill. The Supreme Court's still solid. It still has its reputation. He was the one pushing back on that. I think he's the lost one in this situation to realize how far right this court has gone. Um, I don't know. I guess I just loop him in with anybody else. I don't think I expect much of him because I don't, I don't see that much in him to, to stand up to this. Um, I don't know. Is that wrong of me to just to be so kind of dismissive of him? Well, see, but there, see okay, there's, there's a few things. You do understand John Roberts is the chief justice. And what when you think about the history of Supreme Court, what they always do is the rulings that happen during your time as chief justice, everything is, they'll say, under the Roberts Court. Before Roberts, which is, is William Rehnquist, under the Rehnquist Court. So what happens is that whenever you actually have a chief justice, all the rulings that take place, everything that happens, they call it under this person's court, under that person's court. The other thing to that would be uh, somewhat disappointing as it relates to Roberts. Roberts is a conservative. Roberts has been a letdown. But the few times that Democrats have scored victories in front of the Supreme Court, he's also been that swing justice. And oftentimes he's a swing justice because um, he, first of all, he might be ruling strictly in the law, but he's also very concerned about the reputation of the court. And even with some of the um, the rulings around abortion, he's pro-life, 
but he was fearful of you know he was the one who tried to rein in the far right so more so than the other eight members of the supreme court john roberts and this is probably why he's also kind of wants to maybe downplay certain things what have you but in history everything that happens either when it comes to rulings or reputation this is called the roberts court so with this being the roberts court i just think that he would have a greater interest in making sure that they got to the facts because from a historical perspective these things are happening on his watch well that's my whole point i don't this should have been handled a different way. So should the Clarence Thomas situation. So should have the Garland situation. So should have the the RBG situation. I guess my I, I guess I'm just playing a little violin to say now he's going to step up and do something because of the leak and stuff like that. I guess I just don't expect much of him because at this point it's so far gone that. Um, this is just, it's not going to change my opinion about it. You know what I mean? I, I guess to answer your question, this is not the first opportunity where he could have took a more uh, stance on saving the reputation of the Supreme Court. So I just didn't expect much of him to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and just the fact that he's allowing Clarence Thomas to be Clarence Thomas and, and, and with his wife, you know, um, but, but it's, you know, it's vicious. So one of the things and I want to move out of DC for this next one, go down to Florida is Ron DeSantis is just doing Ron DeSantis things this week. He banned, uh, a AP African-American studies. And he also banned a, a lot of other AP history classes that oftentimes dealt with, you know, less than the American Anglo-Saxon experience. And, um, there's a lot to go in on this. Um, but I think the one thing, and this is something that I think, again, from a messaging standpoint, Democrats need to hammer a home. Whether it's McCarthy, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, um, whether it's any number of Republicans, they just take pride in being assholes. I'm sorry. Even from the standpoint of any old days, I don't necessarily, there's a lot of Republicans I don't agree with, but I, I, you could have different opinions on things and everything else, but it seems like the most important thing that the Republicans do, regardless of where they stand on issues, is they lead with assholetry. Uh, your thoughts, and it, especially through the prism of um, Ron DeSantis. Well, it's, it's not just assholy, it's just, it's evil. It's them rewriting history, it's them trying to sweep things under the rug. They're clearly trying to whiteify. I don't know if that's a word, but they're truly clearly trying to make it. So they're trying to guess like the whole country into thinking we don't know any history. Tucker Carlson, I brought him up earlier. He was on this week saying, why would we want to learn history? Like what good does it serve? He was talking about Richard Nixon being the most popular president ever. And all of a sudden he gets canceled and he gets uh, kicked out the next day. Obviously that's not what happened. Um, they're trying to change. So just to put it into perspective, Republicans think wokeness is, I know the word woke has been hijacked, but they think wokeness is this idea that white people are bad, all white people are racist, that the, that everyone is against white people. And so they're trying to fight back on that by going after 
history and the knowledge that we need to kind of make those um, clarifications as we move forward, right? There's a big push in this country to get things right. Uh, there's a big reparations conversation happening. I know locally here in Evanston, uh, the, the local government's doing something about that. Their California's talking about it. Biden's talking about equity, right? And when vaccines came up, we were talking about equity. And I think the way that Republicans and white people are dealing with that is just not to accept it and trying to learn. They're trying to fight it. And DeSantis is the king of Florida right now. He could do He's untouchable there. He could do whatever he wants there. He might set Florida back years and years and years. Now, let's say he runs and somebody else steps in and tries to undo all that stuff. It's just going to take such a long time. Um, what's interesting, though, John, is the DeSantis pivot to the hard right um, in gear for the election. Let's say he's doing this. As you know, they go far right, far left in the primary, and then they all try to get back to center during the general election, which that's what I'm saying. DeSantis is going to be unsuccessful in that. Let's say he gets through a Trump primary, gets to the election. All this stuff is going to be used against him. Obviously there is no such thing as a swing voter when it comes to DeSantis. You're either going to believe what he believes or not. And um, yeah, I don't mean to keep pivoting to 2024, but what they're doing is evil and it's a response to us trying to get the country back on track. Yeah. And let me give you, and you know, I, I will not claim to be an academic, even though I teach at the collegiate level, but let me give you uh, an academic's perspective with what he's doing. Um, everything from the stop woke act to the don't say gay, uh, with the, uh, taking over of the new school, which is actually where our friend Brendan actually was a professor, uh, before he moved up here. Um, and, and really trying to change the board and turn it into a Hillsdale of the South. Um, that's going to, and with, you know, Ben Sass being the, now the president of, uh, University of Florida, it's going to have a chilling effect on their uh, college education. I'll tell you why. Um, you may have ever, you may have heard the phrase brain drain. Um, schools, especially uh, what they call tier one or R1 uh, schools, which are the, the bigger schools that have these strong uh, research institutions, have strong reputations. Um, those schools that exist in Florida are going to have a hard time both recruiting and retaining quality faculty members. And if that is the case, then you're going to see, and when you think about it, at least at the graduate level, maybe even at the undergraduate level, you're also going to see, uh, and the reason why I say it's more likely at the graduate level than the undergraduate level is because graduate students are a little bit more engaged with politics, right? Um, but you're going to see if this continues um, the quality of the education and the quality of the faculty that the Florida universities are able to recruit and retain is going to take a drastic drop. Because think about it. If you were a professor of African-American history and you were in Florida, um, would you want to stay at the college you're at? And, 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 and if you were a, a teacher of African-American history, uh, that was at another college outside of Florida and you're looking for a career change and all of a sudden um, there is a job opening in Florida, would you take it? No. So it's going to have a detrimental effect on higher education in Florida. Yeah, and, and this is actually, you bring up a great point. Um, 
because I also think of the long-term effects here. What I mean by that is there's a reason that Mississippi continues to be the poorest state in the country. There's a reason that Chicago, LA, New York, Miami, uh, Atlanta thrive. Um, when you hold back and when you refuse to adjust, then you're, you're going to get left behind. And Florida is interesting because it does have a place like Miami and it does have a place like Tampa that um, are big cities, but um, they might get set back so much that the talent out of Florida is less the, like you said, recruiting, but I'm, I'm thinking about the, 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 net positive that Florida might have on the country is going to to continue to get smaller and smaller because they're going to be so one track minded that it's going to be hard to look at Florida as uh, the leader of this. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's basically like a farm system in baseball where you got to continue to feed the farm system so that you can continue to survive and thrive and get things going. And Florida is just not doing any of that. And, that's going to put him in a bad shape when DeSantis eventually leaves. Like he might leave eventually to go do something else. He might be president. He might run for president and give up his office, what, whatever. Right. So um, I just find it interesting that, that Floridians are going for it. Like it's, it's, it's people think that that Florida's purple. It's, It's, I think it's as red as Ohio is. I think it's red as Texas is at this point. I'm I'm shocked at how Florida has gone the other way when the rest of the country has gone what we believe is the right way. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But hey, we're we're coming up on an hour, so I think it's time to sign off. So for now, this is John signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah.